This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode mentions Ninth House, Hellbent, and Legendborn. For full list, please see show notes. There are also discussions surrounding suicide. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or in a mental health crisis, contact the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or 911 and 988 in the U.S. Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing the 1999 film by Sofia Coppola, The Virgin Suicides. This is based on a book. We're talking about the movie. This movie. All right. I really hate to start off by saying that there is a TikTok audio, but because that dates us and it dates an episode, but there is a TikTok audio (laughs) that says, I don't care if you don't like this book, because this book was written specifically for me. And that audio is my feeling for this movie. I do not care about anyone's opinion at all about this movie. This movie, in my opinion, was written for me. I saw this way way too young. Way too young. Um, But... When I saw it, I was very impressionable. Obviously, I was very young. Uh, But the similarities between my childhood and this depiction of childhood was so similar that when I saw it, uh, I was not in this place anymore. And I immediately connected to it and I grasped it. And this piece of media is not only a time capsule for like the seventies and like when it came out and everything, but it is a time capsule for me. And like the way that I was feeling when I watched this for the first time and sorry, I'm talking a lot about this, but uh, this movie is set in 1974 gross point, Michigan gross point. Michigan is like 25, 30 minutes on a good day from where I grew up uh, on the outskirts of Detroit and I used to go to, um, there's a park there, um, Bell Out, just like, it, it's very nice. It's very nice. Uh, I used to go there as a child and there was like parades and it was like a whole big thing. So Gross Point is where the rich people in Detroit lived. So we went there and would like drive around and like look at all the houses and stuff. But I only ever went into a house in Gross Point once. And I was jumping on a trampoline when I was very young uh, with like a lot of other kids. And it was like this whole thing. Uh, So this movie is very, very, very deeply connected to me and my childhood. And I'm almost done. My perspective on this movie has, I would say, changed um, from when I watched it when I was a young, I would say like, I would say preteen. Um to an adult. However, 
there is a huge chunk of me that very much still watches this movie with adolescent eyes. And I think that lets me enjoy it a lot more than, say, a jaded adult watching it now. Okay, I'm done. I mean, no, I love that. And I think the insight is super helpful because that was one of my questions. Um, because I know that you had watched it when you were younger. And this is the first time that I had ever watched it. It was a movie I had known about. I've heard. Um, but there wasn't really anything besides it. Aside from the name itself, I had no context of this film. Um, and would you say, because you were saying like, there's a young adolescent part of you that like brings you to this point when watching this. Could you say the same thing with when we rewatch Cruel Intentions? Like you recognize it? No, absolutely not. This is so different. On such a, yeah, it is so different. Like, yeah. Just a little bit more context with this. Um, I used to live outside of Detroit and then I moved. And when I moved is when I saw this film. So I was in a different place, like looking back on, you know what I mean? So it's an, it's a film about, I mean, it's filmed by a lot of things, but um, it came out in the nineties set in the seventies. So it's like nostalgic. Right. But for me who has no context and like, I don't give a shit about the seventies in when I saw it, it was nostalgic for me on a different level. How do you want to kick off this episode, knowing that we have your background, your familiarity, both nostalgia and then kind of seeing it differently as an adult, which we get to discuss a little bit more today. Where would your comfort lines be? How would we want to just kick off the movie with the first line? Yeah, go ahead. Say it. Cool. So the movie starts off. I mean, aside from the title, the movie starts off literally first line is immediate foreshadowing is Cecilia was the first to go. Um, this movie is based off of five sisters. Um, unfortunately, um, right at the beginning of the movie, uh, one of the sisters unalives herself. But uh, prior to that, there were, you know, a couple suicide attempts before that. And they are in, uh, you know, they live in a nuclear household. They have their mom and dad, their mom's a teacher, their dad's a teacher. Their mom kind of stays at home and it are they are devout in their religion. Um, so they're kind of under lock and key for a good portion, if not all, their lives. Um, and everybody in school, all the neighbors know about it, all the neighbors talk about it, um, as does many small communities. Um, all up in everybody's business and trying to understand, you know, and even the doctor um, after the first sister, Cecilia, there's five, you know, there's five of them. There are, um, there's Cecilia, Lux, Bonnie, Mary, Therese, uh, aged between 13 and 17. Um, And even the doctor, first thing he says is, um, you know, he's like, why, why are you so upset? Why are you trying to unalive yourself? You don't even know what pain is. And she goes, well, obviously, doctor, you've never been a 13 year old girl, which is which is so very true. Uh, because, you know, every I think 13 year old girl has at least some inkling of uh, life sucks. And this isn't fair, because being a preteen sucks. Being a teenager sucks. And then to add to that, you're like, 
mm-hmm. the way your parents, you know, different, you know, parental figures are in your life at that, you know, everything is just surmounting one over the other. Well, and also uh, the the opening, we started with the opening line. Uh, there is yeah. a shot of uh, Kirsten Dunst as Lux uh, straight up chomping down on a popsicle, like going, going to town on a popsicle. And it is very much a juxtaposition, I'm going to say that's a big word for me, uh, of a typical like Lolita stereotype. Like she's not sexually eating a popsicle. So like right away we are subverting stereotypes. She is chomping down on it, whatever, screw you. And then immediately uh, there's just like a nice montage to build up the neighborhood. And a little bit after this, we get the the dreamy actual um, intro of the movie. But I would argue and i think maybe successfully that lex is the main character because um the aesthetic of dreaminess in this movie does kind of center on her because she's huge in the sky in that opening in the clouds and she's like winking with the twinkle in her eye so it's it's all it's all very dreamy and aesthetic um jess this is your first sofia coppola movie right correct so this aesthetic this dreamy pastel vibe is very much um kind of her style i would say uh not so much in like lost in translation but like marie antoinette is very much like this uh so it did not help when this movie came out uh that the vibe was so um dreamy and pastel because it made critics kind of view it as um not uh like substantial do you know what i'm saying like kind of an art piece and not like a deep message kind of piece like so it, it did not benefit from that but looking back on it um the visuals stay with you i think a lot uh and the poster obviously is iconic um, Cecilia looks like Joshua Jackson to me. And that is just something that I have never been able to shake. And every time I see Cecilia in this role, she reminds me of Joshua Jackson. Did you notice that Cecilia is in the same dress the whole time we see her? No, I didn't notice that at all. I mm-hmm. no, no, it just, I, I was just, I think focusing on the dynamics and criticizing a lot of like the, par- like, Oh, you know, the doctor's like, and even the neighbors, she doesn't want to commit suicide. She just wants out of that house, which they all did. Um, and even they're like, the doctor's like, well, you know, they need social interaction. I understand you run a really strict household, but like they need to have a life. And they were like, oh, we're going to put, you know, we're going to have a party. We're going to invite a boy over for dinner. That's going to fix everything. And, Again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, obviously, but I was looking at even the moms putting up balloons, but it wasn't balloons in groups. Every balloon was individual. And I just feel like that's also like the girls only had each other and the only, and, and I say that the girls, the sisters only had each other. And they're also the only ones who understood what they were going through. And nobody, and of, and of course, in a way, maybe even like, yes, you, there's the grief of the mother who is go, you know, lost Cecilia, 
I feel like I'm all over the place because I feel like there's just so much to talk about, but there's like, I feel also feel like, woe is me. My daughters were always loved. But then if you think of Reese, he's like, there is such thing as loving too much. And that's just as dangerous, which is clearly shown here in this movie. I don't give a shit about the mother. We don't care about her at all. Fuck her. No, she makes it about herself. And that's just like coming from somebody with narcissistic parental figures. So you did not notice that Cecilia was in the dress the no. whole time. So Cecilia's in the dress. Every time that we see her, she's in that sleeveless lace dress, which is, of course, indicating to her mental state, which doesn't change ever from when we first see her until she um, jumps onto the fence, right? Her mental state stays the same. She's in the same dress. Um, she's got the bandages with the bracelets. Those stay the same, too. So she doesn't have... Even though her her family is trying, I say trying loosely, to help, obviously they're not helping. And Cecilia is completely checked out. We're talking about this party. She's totally checked out of the party. She doesn't want to be there. She is not engaging with anybody. The only one that she shows any slight interest in is Joe when he gets there. But then the boys start using him as like a party trick to, in like, in. I guess, impress the girls. And Cecilia doesn't like that either. And she's like, I I don't want to be here. So she goes to her mom and is like, can I leave? And I think, I think going back to your point here, it is easy for us, the viewer, to start screaming at the mom here to be like, this is a huge red flag. Do not let your daughter, who this party is for, leave and to go off like by herself like what are you doing but then like that's easy for us the viewer to like yell and scream at her about but like you know this is all context um but that party situation is so fucking awkward of i knowing how it goes i do the 10 second skip button um through the whole thing because i can't i can't with the like Awkward small talk. And especially, like, because uh, we've been covering, like, Ninth House and Hellbent. He's like, yeah, Yale. Do you know where Yale is? And it's just like, ah, sir, stop. <laughs> Those stupid, silly boys. Uh, but it does it does um, kind of mark the basement as a place because we have all of these um, – kind of little tidbits of information that have been given us, right? So the basement is a place. Going down the stairs is always a place. And we know that because, like, when Paul is talking later about how he was in the tunnels and, like, he was there and he saw Cecilia during her first attempt, he went down the stairs to the tunnel. The boys go down the stairs at the end. Uh, the basement is just, like, a place, you know? It's it's just, like, because the the conversations and things that usually happen in a kitchen— in a typical movie or like sitcom sitcom or something, they happen in the kitchen. They don't happen in the kitchen here. They happen in the basement or nowhere. I also think like basement in general is so significant for a lot of people in their formative years. If you don't live in Florida, because there's no basements in Florida, you know, I mean, even if you think of, that 70s show all the kids hung out in the basement like the basement was always like a gathering point um you know it's kind of this it still feels like a common area it's not the quote-unquote bedroom um especially as a teenager um so it just felt like this is another gathering place 
that you don't feel like you're being watched all the time. That is a really perfect segue if we want to back up a little bit uh, to, to I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but the boy that comes over for dinner after Danny DeVito tells us that Cecilia needs just a little bit more. She needs a little bit more. Uh, male interaction. They bring the boy over for dinner. Uh, my note says very horny, horny dinner. <laughs> horny dinner. Uh, those girls are all over him, which I think is very funny. Um, but we get aspects of the controlling mom, too, and how Lux rebels, like, sexually, right? She's like, Lux, put your shirt on right now. And she, like, puts it on, but then she, like, takes it off a little bit. She was a little you know, shaft, a little shoulder. Not even yeah. a shoulder. She was just like, hey... Yeah, just like a little bit. But then it's like like all out footsie war under the table. Uh, but my point being like places is the the bathroom. He this this boy gets access to like a secret place, right? The girl's bedroom and like the girl's bathroom because the bathroom downstairs doesn't work. And it is an interesting exploration. The way that his eyes like land on certain things in the room and in the bathroom specifically uh when he opens the cabinet it's just like a wall of tampons tampons he's like he's like and then he closes the door um but then he takes time to smell the perfume and he's like smelling the the lipstick lipstick. right these like little little hallmarks of like um i'm gonna say girlhood I'm going to say girlhood because when we get started on trip, I'll start singing Taylor Swift. But these little hallmarks of girlhood that this this boy is able to like experience because to him and to and we'll talk about this at the end to all of the boys that these girls interact with, um, these girls don't actually exist. They are like dreamy kind of fantasies they are not they are never seen as like real individual people by any of the guys even though all of the boys like know their names and like know everything about them and like all all of these like little trivia things it's it's just so fun um i however though would just simply uh melt into the ground if i left my retainer on the plate at dinner and and they were like laughing at me and like giving it back to me. I would never recover. He ran out the door. He didn't recover. No. Yeah. I just I would never ever 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 recover that. Oh, I'm looking at my note. His name is Peter. Um, the we do get our first. I would say our second indication of the environmental crisis that that is kind of looming in the background of this story. Um, it is during this this dinner with Peter that Cecilia mentions that the frogs are dying. So we have our mentions of the frogs dying. The elm trees are all dying. So it's just a theme in the background. Well, and I talking about that theme, you know how long I was like watching the movie and obviously the notice is on the elm tree in the front yard. And I'm like, it's bright. It's red. It's there on every external shot. And I kept thinking, when is this? This has to be addressed. This isn't just a prop. When is this going to be addressed? And even Cecilia, like you said, she's more attuned to like, what is the state of the environment than just having a boy at the table? Like, that's what is you're like... There's so many, you know, Cecilia was very much like there are bigger things in the world going on 
than this. And you flash forward to after her death, but um, the you know they're going to cut down the elm tree, and the and the guy's like, oh, you know, everything's going to be infected, blah blah blah. We need to cut this down, or it's going to spread. And the father's like, well, if the world keeps going the way it's going, like you say it is, and like my daughters say it is, we're gonna, you know, we're all going to shit anyway in a year. So what the fuck does it matter? And it did. It did. Uh, it's. I love that you said that because everything did go to shit in a year. The time frame here is exactly 13 months. So it's very, very short. It is, It is, of course, after Cecilia asks to leave the party that she does uh, throw herself out the window and onto the fence. And we get, we get our first kind of, I guess our second. Our second big, like, shock, I would imagine, of the movie. The first being, like, Cecilia in the bathtub. The second now being Cecilia on the fence. Uh, James Woods is, is um, you know, he's a person. Mm, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but in this role, uh, he, I like him here in this role. He plays this kind of, like, I don't know, oblivious, pushover bumbling teacher yeah because do you feel like he has this whole fear of his wife like a happy wife happy life you know what even when it she it's kind of like she's the one who makes the rules it's just easier to listen to her than like deal with anything else yeah i think so and i also think that he does pick he does pick and choose his battles right because they did go to homecoming like he did stick and he up was for you know so, so like happy like he was like let me talk to my wife like he saw when Lux won homecoming queen and all his girls were there like he was just like he was like I'm so glad you could tell he was like I'm so glad I fought for my daughters for this yeah so I d- I don't know the the dad is kind of um because he does lose it at the end he's like talking mumbling to his plants uh so I don't know the dad is kind of uh, uh you know uh I'm not gonna say sympathetic but I am kind of just like mm, with him. It's the mom that gets all of my anger because her. Oh, she her gets all shit, my anger. Yeah. No, yeah. She gets my anger. Her shit is wrapped up in the religious shit too, which just, just not does not fly for me. Uh, especially like, um, oh, I mean, we'll get to it, but the religious Im- imagery is like a lot here. There's pictures of like crucifixes on the ground. Um, the image that the Virgin Mary direct- everywhere. Yeah. And specifically the crucifix that has Lux's bra hanging off of it, I think is just, just like you could not represent Lux any better than that. That is exactly, exactly it. Uh, so yeah, the religious imagery, uh, you know, Cecilia has the Virgin Mary like card in her hands during her first attempt. Uh, and the card, you know, the cards show up later. It's just, it's a whole thing. So like the mom gets all of my rage here. Yeah. And I'm not excusing dad, but it's, it's mostly mom. I have to say, the sprinklers coming on as the dad is holding Cecilia was just like a little touch that was like not necessary, but also was just like a little bit of like, because I do, I do feel a certain way every time those sprinklers come on as he's like standing there having this like big dramatic moment and there's like crying and everything going on it does feel kind of like a wes anderson kind of thing to me it's just it's just one of those things (laughs) uh 
All I have to say is that if a priest walked into my house after a tragedy and walked into my bedroom, there would be another tragedy and it would be the priest. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know. I I never had that happen to me. Like just a priest walking into my house or coming door. I don't know. Maybe it's just where I grew up, how I grew up. But just the idea of a priest visiting my house, just come and check on you. And that, no, I'm already all, that made me uncomfortable. And I was worried. Again, I went into this movie essentially like completely blind. Um, that's something another, um, trauma was going to occur, honestly. Yeah. She's like, uh, please, please no, please no. But it does give us this priest coming in and seeing the house through an outside perspective, because that's, that's what it's giving us is it gives us the dad. Um, in his grief, completely in his grief, um, you know, there's a arm extended from the priest for help and the dad almost takes it, but then he doesn't. And then through the priest, we see the house start to decay here. So with the background, with the environmental decay and the environmental kind of tragedy that's going on in the background, the house also does reflect this. So there is, you know, there are plates everywhere and like food everywhere and the clothes are strung everywhere and it's the house is dim and everything is drawn. Everything is quiet. Uh, So we do get that. But we also get the priest saying very specifically that he listed Cecilia's death as an accident. Now, why is that important? Because they are Catholic. And uh, if you unalive yourself, then you cannot be buried in certain in the cemetery because it's a whole fucking thing. Uh, so that is why he did that, which is why. Sorry, I'm banging my desk because it's all connected, which is why. The cemetery workers are on strike because this is another indication of the environmental decline, leaving bodies like to decay, right? So you can see the visible decay of the environment. You know, it's a whole thing. Um, but because Cecilia's death was listed the way that it was, she's allowed to be buried in the cemetery. And because she's so young, that gets the sympathy of the cemetery workers. So that is mm-hmm. how all of that. I works. yeah, I figured. I thought it was because of her age, not because of uh, the 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 religion. The reason behind uh, listing it as an accident. I mean, I knew that was like a religious thing. Um, it's a little kind of um, a trivia thing that isn't even like listed in like the facts and everything. But that that's one of them. Uh, the the neighbors, as you were saying earlier, the neighbors kind of treat the girls as a spectacle. Uh, this is emphasized when they are trying to dig the fence out of the house, right? Um, the neighbors are all there and they're having like lemonade and like everybody's watching. and Everybody's literally them, like, ugh. get your popcorn. Something's happened at the Lisbon's. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're all there. And they do dig that fence out and it's it's just like a, a, whole, a whole thing. Um, but then... Then, then, then we get, we get, I think, kind of really the, the first indication that the boys, the boys being the four boys in the neighborhood, um, the boys that act as our like narrator, which is like not, the narrator is not any one of those four boys, but that's neither here nor there. Um, But these four boys end up 
in possession of Cecilia's diary. And they get that diary from the plumber's... No, what you're saying, I was so grossed out by that. To Like, here you Mm -hmm. have a plumber coming in, and he takes it upon himself. Not just the plumber, but the plumber's... The people who are supposed to be helping take care Mm -hmm. of your house. Now, like, and how morbid that is. That at this point, you know, Cecilia had has unalived herself so now you're taking a dead girl's diary this is just so gross and it's just consistent with the theme like just not that it's an actual theme but i feel like it's always the men who are like i mean that is part of the theme in the movie fetishizing and romanticizing and making like creating women in their head that goes with their fantasies not what's actually going because like you said at the end of the movie we know that we only have they're like oh we only have we had the pieces but we really didn't know how to put them together because you didn't know them you knew this like idea of them that you created i think now's a good point because you're so fired up about this uh (laughs) for me to kind of tell you the perspective that i have when i watch this my adolescent perspective because it kind of starts here This was, as a child, one of the most romantic things I had ever seen because these boys had taken the time to get somebody to find this diary. They're sitting around. They're reading this diary. They're fantasizing about this girl. They're trying to get to know this girl. They're trying to insert themselves into her life and to to kind of gain insight into her like everyday life with her sisters when i saw this as a child this was like nothing i had ever seen before what boy would ever put in any sort of effort like this none none at all so obviously here's the thing obviously they love them because they put in all of this effort because they are children. I think that is something that is glossed over because like like you have all of this anger and I'm not telling you you're wrong. Obviously you're completely right, obviously. But like these are 14-year-old children. So like everything that we get so like like ah ba 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 about never crossed my mind as a child. Because this was the most sense. Yeah, this was the most dreamy, aesthetic, tragic thing that I have ever seen. So, like, specifically, specifically here, when they are talking about, like, it is through these diary pages that we understood the imprisonment of being a, a girl. We knew that they were women in disguise. We knew that we were nothing. We were created to make noise to entertain them. You could not have said anything more profound to me as a child. I was eating this up. Like, of course. Of course. Yes. And of course they are completely obsessed with them. I love these girls. I would love to like be friends with these girls. Like that, that is the mindset. Uh, I think a lot of people had, if you watch this when you were a child. So it is hard and it is an exercise with yourself to go back and be cynical with this because, because at 14, when these boys are at these girls, 
and and it's like it's a sexual level of creepy, but they are like they're not tu- they're not like touching themselves on screen while they're doing this. Do you know what I mean? They're not like it it's 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 more of like it, to me, it's not as sexual at at this point yet. At this point, yeah. And, but I mean, and even in some points later after they've been spying on Lux, hooking up on the roof and all that, it was more about, oh, you know, we're going on these adventures with there and Cecilia didn't die. She's just a princess in a far off land or, you know, an empress in a far off land. And, you know, we went to the Great Wall of China. Like they were genuinely like we they've created in their minds, like this alternate universe of, um, life life with them not just sexualizing them like you said it comes later and you have the ins and outs of it all saying it and but this is like some of the things that we talk on the podcast too when you're like this is why we were read and this is why we look at things differently and to look because the experience that looking at things and experiencing things at a certain age and we've talked about it with a lot of books or like if i read reading this book at this age I, I was all in, but reading this as an adult now, you're like, what was I thinking? Everything was there or different life experiences. So it makes sense why you're like, this was everything. And it does make sense even talking it out because you're like, hearing that at 13, the effort at 13, who's going to do that? They didn't even do that in the shows that we watched at that age. They didn't. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. exactly. They didn't. Uh, they, oh my gosh. Um, so... This, this, this diary scene, these fantasy scenes that we start to have here, uh, these, these were just like, I don't know, a, a Manic Pixie Dream Girl was not something that was in my head when I saw this as a child. Um, but obviously that is kind of a vibe of what they kind of see here. Um, because they are, they're, they're boys, they're boys. <laughs> They're 14 year old boys. At that point, is any girl considered a manic pixie dream girl? Because it feels that way sometimes. I think it feels that way sometimes. I feel like for them specifically, because they were so inaccessible. And also, and it's something that I don't think is discussed a lot. But then again, people don't discuss this a lot. Um, the girls, the, the sisters, know the four boys, the four neighborhood boys that are obsessed with them. Like they know them. They know their names. They know where they live. So they are aware. At, I guess my point is at some point, these girls reach out to these boys, right? Like we, we know that they give them a code. They reach out. They're sending them stuff, whatever. So at some point, the girls, like, bring them in. So when we say, like, the boys are completely obsessed with the girls, it's like, yeah, they are. And, like, yeah, no, they probably didn't love them, but they are 14, so it is, like, a weird kind of love. And, like, at 14, you do actually, like, it is actually, like, real love at 14, you know, even But, like, they used the boys. They used that obsession for their own like end very much so um, at the end of the movie. So it it's it isn't fair to me to say that the girls 
didn't like didn't know that they were watching. They knew that they were watching. They knew the details of their watching so much that they were able to send notes and send cards and create a record playing code and, you know, doing all of this. Now, was all of that stuff a cry for help? Absolutely. Absolutely it was. But those boys are 14. Like, I... I, I don't my I guess my point to be I don't I don't necessarily understand the criticism of well the boys didn't understand that the girls were reaching out for help of course they didn't they are stupid 14 year old boys they they were getting attention from the object of their obsession what did you want them to do with it in defense of that too you can give the same signals to guys now and they still want to pick up on that. Right? Like, you could just be like, please help. And they'd be like, mm, records? Like, uh, you know, it's just, <laughs> please help. Here's here's a playlist I put together on Spotify. You're like, bro, no, that's not. Um, but I, yeah. okay, maybe this is a plot hole. I don't know. I want to know with how strict their parents are when they were just like, call us or no they didn't say that the the boys found their number in the in the phone book how did they call the girls without the phone ringing and alerting their mother that's just like a random plot hole i and i did try to think like maybe the house had two lines because i had a friend when i was in middle school that's what her parents did and but then i realized no 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 this is the 70s so that wouldn't have been established yet it was something like just so small knowing knowing how my my parents have been that that would not you know you try to like pick up the phone and pick it up before it rings so your friends could you could have your late night calls and all that stuff i'm sorry i'm totally dating myself but (laughs) it, it was just so wild to me i did remember trying to sneak and that was like when when that existed sharing a phone line i don't know i i guess it never it never really occurred to me because it never seemed like they had friends outside of each other. So, like, why would anyone care, like, who they were talking? You know, like, I don't know. It was just one of those things. Another plot hole, you could say, as long as we're bringing up plot holes, is the, um, at the end, Lux says that her mom is an insomniac and that it takes her a really long time to go to sleep. But when the boys are there, it's midnight. So, obviously, it doesn't take that long. But, like... You know, plot holes abound. Plot holes abound. With her saying an insomniac, she's going to go to sleep in five minutes. Most insomniacs, myself included, I go through like, you know, ups and downs of my waves. We're at least up till three. And most people are. So I thought it was really funny. Like, oh, midnight. And she, and, and you would have heard those boys creeping around the, the second those stair, those basement stairs creaked. That mother would have been up. Yep. Well, We'll talk, we'll talk about it when we get to the end. Uh, we are up to the news anchor. The news anchor comes in and out, um, throughout the movie. She tries to interview the girls about Cecilia in the beginning. She shows up at the elm tree. She, she's throughout the movie, but she shows up here. Um, but then we get the news report where it's basically like, do you know where your kids are? And there is a girl. Still, when they play it, you're like, it's bad. Um, but there's a girl that talks about like, 
you know, I I really wanted to like unalive myself, so I put a bunch of rat poison like in a pie, and then my nana ate it. All all I could think about, all I could think about was um, Armis Scream Queen Chanel here going, um, rat poison only works because rodents don't have a gag reflex. If you gave her human rat poison, they would immediately puke it all up. So not only would I have survived your uh, pathetic attempt on my life, you would have made me skinnier. That's all I could think of. Um, every time. I love Chanel. <laughs> every time. Every time. We see Cecilia's ghost three times. Of course, Cecilia's in the same dress. She never changes out of her dress, but we see her ghost um, in the room when the dad goes to close the window. And it ends up being Bonnie, but we do kind of get a flash. Uh, Chase sees her in the uh, tree and Tim sees her in his bedroom. Uh, It's just, it's very, it's very kind of like sad. Uh, And she says like, gosh, you like snore really loud. It's just like mean. Okay. Uh, But so, yeah, we see her goes three times and then it's just like not addressed. It's just, it's just kind of um, like a mood atmospheric kind of thing. I thought there was going to be payoff with that and there wasn't, but I guess it was just like kind of like in her final goodbyes or to solidify the fact that she's still very much like at the forefront of everybody, what everybody was thinking because I found it interesting because now that she's dead and that happened during the summer and then the school year starts, you know, the commentary from the boys is, um, Oh, you know, the girls are here, they're back for convocation, and everybody's acting like nothing happened, which was really interesting that that was their perspective. You know, the sisters are laughing, they have like, they're smiling. And anybody who's familiar with grief knows that it's like a roller coaster, it's not a full circle, you know, you go back and forth and all the things. Um, but I appreciate, oh, I can't remember who it was, but one of the sisters, you know, one of the boys in the school says like, oh, hey, um, I'm so-and-so. And she straight up says, and it reminded me of Legendborn with the before Brie and after Brie. And she goes, I've gone to school with you my entire life. You've never said hi to me before. Basically, my sister died and you're feeling like you need to have like a pity salutation with me. And I'm not for it. So like, leave me the fuck alone. And I really respected that. Be like, don't talk to me now. You did not care this whole fucking time. Yes. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Which is, there's... There, there is a deeper layer to that, though, because he's one of the boys that is obsessed with her and her family, and she knows that, and she knows him, and he knows her, but he's never had the guts to talk to her before, but he is, is as you say, trying to like insert himself a little bit into her life because he and all of the boys are trying to identify the, the cracks, right? That's what they say in the beginning. Um, when they say like the September 7th convocation, like, um, like where were the cracks in them? Because they look fine. Like, where is it? Um, so he's trying to, and Mary, it's Mary. And she totally shuts him down, which is, is funny because Chase, um, that the boy that is talking to her is the boy that Lux pays the most attention to, um, he's the one that she undoes his belt buckle at the very end. She's like, kind of like flirty with him a little bit so you were talking about grief which i think is really excellent here because we don't really get any of the sisters depictions of grief 
The only thing that we can kind of extrapolate here is that Lux is dealing with everything by, I'm going to say kind of in her slut era. Uh, she, she's all up in her slut era. And that could be, that could be a lot of things. It could be the way that she's dealing with her grief. It could be that she's 15. And it could be that, um, Josh Hartnett is fucking hot. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to yeah. go with Boy. an option five because four, I think it's also like a rebellion, a rebellious nature against her mother and religion. And then five would be all of the above. So all of it. Yeah. All of it, all of it, all of it. Uh, Trip Fontaine, Trip Fontaine. Of course, we have had some uh, Trip Fontaine flashbacks. We we get Trip Fontaine as Josh Hartnett. My God, um, being so charming, six, just three. like waltzing into school. He's six three. He's six, six three. three. He's he he's got cheekbones in this movie that could cut glass, and he's he's just all over this. Um, he's excellent here. This. The way that he plays Trip, that charming, like, come on, like, let's, let's just do it. Like, just tell him that, that I would fold so hard. That is, that is a charm that works on me. And I hate that it works on me, <laughs> but it does. It does. It does. Um, I would totally be the girl behind the desk being like, dismissed. Sure. Sure. It works on me. <laughs> fine. Whatever. Um, but it doesn't work on Lux. And that's, that's what I really love. And that's what drives Trip crazy. That's what he really uh, loves too. Yeah, it is. Uh, Trip has to love a lot of things because Trip, we get in flashbacks being interviewed by who we assume are the boys when he is old. Uh, Trip is in rehab. Trip says a lot of bullshit. Trip says that he never got over her. Trip said that, you know, he never was one to pursue. Um, but he, he, he couldn't, he like couldn't get her out of his mind. Um, she drove him crazy. Just, just, ugh. But I feel like it's textbook. He's saying all that shit. It's textbook. This is the one girl that didn't fold and didn't give you the t attention. It made you work for it because flash forward to after homecoming and she slept with him. He was, he dipped before she even woke up. And even after she was like, no, I really don't think so. Like, my dad, we have curfew. And he's like, no, 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 it's going to be fine, fine, fine. Like, we'll get, you know, we'll say you something happened. And now then they all got fucked. Like, all the sisters, not actually literally, but like their mother, they went down. They said, the sisters even said, we knew we were, we were going to get in trouble based on Lux's decisions. But we didn't realize it was going to come down that hard. And you know what? To be fair, I would have stayed all, all night with Trip too. I really would have. Uh, you know, it is that is just how I how I rolled in high school. Um, so Trip has he has a gay dad, and he says that uh, it's just no help. Like his dad is just no help when it comes to girls. He's like, be yourself, keep your hair out of your eyes. It's just a very cute little detail. Um, the hurricane presentation where Trip asks or I guess tells Lux that he's like going to come over on Sunday and then um, he's going to ask her out. That is after kind of what we a little montage of Lux just like straight up ignoring him. I love it so much. I love watching him just be like awkward. I, I love watching him work for it. The hurricane presentation 
is interesting because it is just another um, indicator to the environmental like theme that is going on kind of in the background, uh, as is the um, animal show that they are watching on Sunday when Trip comes over to watch, quote, the tube. Uh, did you, what, what did your face look like when Trip leaned in and said, you're a stone fox because my feet kick and I giggle. I looked like Lux where you're just like, I'm going to look straight. I'm going to keep my composure, but I am smirking so hard because how Lux treats Trip initially is very much how I am as a person. I know I've said it on the podcast before. You could be the most attra- I could you could be the most attractive person I've ever seen and I will actively go out of my way because I know that they know that they're attractive and they're having everybody else fall all over them. So I'm probably going to be kind of dismissive about it. And she does that when he approaches her at lunch, too. And he's like, hey, Lux. She's like, hey. And then goes back to her sisters. And she's like, mom gave him put meat on a sandwich. And he's just like, uh, and just walks away. He doesn't know what to do. And I think it's so funny. I cannot get over the awkwardness when he comes over to watch TV. It is, they're all in that room. Like, all, oh, my God. Like, all four sisters, the mom, the dad, ugh. And putting her, she's like, and the mom sees it. The the dad's doing the dad thing, falling asleep in the recliner, watching TV, and the and the mom's just like literally between them. She's looking at their glances. She's picking up on everything, and then Lux putting her feet on the coffee table, and her mother's like, "Put your feet down," because <laughs> she sees Trip looking at her. Feet. I thought it was so funny. It's so funny. It's just such a random thing, too. And I love that Lux is knitting. Like, okay. And I like how Trip is like, what are you doing? Like, what? And he's so awkward the whole t- the whole time. And then when the mom is like, it's so late. It's so late. And uh, Lux walks him to the door. He's still awkward. And he's just kind of like standing around. And he does the slow walk out to his car. When he gets in the car and he's just like sitting there and he's like breathing and then Lux just explodes into the car and starts like passionately making out with him. Just like, I have also lived in a strict household. Yeah, I get it. I get it so hard. And I do remember I thought I missed a scene. I was like, wait, wait, it's literally been 30 seconds. She ran up to her room, changed into her nightgown jumped out the window and then she's like gotta be back in bed for bed bed check i mean i lived under a strict house i did not live under a bed check house yeah for real i have to think that there's some sort of ladder situation because luck spends a lot of time on the roof and they are able to get in and out to like send their messages and to like get boys up there so they have to have like some sort of ladder i would not put it past them there's just no other way of I I love that run out to the car passionate makeout scene and I like that he's left in like this bewildered state, right? His hair is everywhere, he's shocked, he's got her gum in his mouth. Of uh, he's just like met his match there and it, it's just so great. It is however tragic. She is 15. She's 15. Like you can't 
like he is in high school too. Like this is high school. This is not like a weird pedophile. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it is tragic because she's so young. Like she should have the rest of her life to have these experiences, right? But we know that she doesn't. And it is, you know, up for debate when they decided when they would do what they are going to do. But it, looking at it, you know, it is just very sad. It is very sad. And all of, all of kind of their actions just get sadder and sadder as we go. Because the, the happiest moment we have is homecoming, don't you think? Yeah, it's not only it's the homecoming experience, too, because um, even when they're going home, they're looking for their dresses for homecoming. It's the first time that I saw their mother smile amongst their daughters and how grateful they were. And, then you know, they're saying like, oh, you know, we got all the materials and she added, you know, inches here, like to the to the hem and to the bust and all of this and full coverage, everything. But they didn't even care. And then I was also looking at the other girls in the homecoming outfits and I go, oh, it's all pretty similar. So some people even had higher collars, but I digress. But that was the happiest moment you saw the girls with their mother. And like for a small moment, you're almost thinking they're starting to say yes, because they learned from how things ended up with Cecilia, that there's like, you know what, maybe there is some self-reflection we need to do as parents, hoping that the same thing doesn't happen again. And here we are. It does to all of them. And even though, like we said earlier, like the dad, like um, the trip goes to the dad and the dad is like, you know, I know you want to take her to homecoming, but like the the wife has the rules. We can't change the rules. You know, we did it for the older ones. We got to do it for the younger ones. And Trip pitches like the group date. Like here's it. Here's the other the other thing. Like not that I ever kind of romanticized Trip. Not in that way because he's like really shitty quickly. But like that is also a lot of effort uh, for for like a, a high school kid to like go to the like. Go to your house and watch TV with your parents and then like negotiate a date with your with the dad at school. I don't know. It was just like a lot of effort. Um, Hayden Christensen is in this. Surprise. He's one of the boys that gets to take one of the girls to homecoming. I think he takes. Oh, I, oh, I wrote it down somewhere. I think he takes Mary. No, he takes Therese. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. I mean, I guess it was implied ahead of time because at first, you know, they were like, Who's going to get us? Like, who who are we going with? And they even said, like, we're getting raffled off. It doesn't even matter. And I feel like the, some of the sisters were even, like, they were excited because they knew where they were all going. But at the same time, they were like, they're just doing it for Lux. It doesn't even matter. And let's just enjoy it while we can. Because Lord knows the next time we'd have, the ne- you know, a sense of freedom. And they didn't. So. Yeah, they don't. This is this is the last it. Uh, Trip in his velvet suit. Stop. Josh Hartnett, what are you doing? Red velvet suit. Pinning on those corsages. Oh, my gosh. Why are corsages so difficult to pin? It, unnecessary. Unnecessary. I I just thought the mother was going to stop them. Like, oh, no, that, that's fine. We'll take care of it because they were so close. I, I just had this things that, hap- that happened, things that didn't happen uh, in the movie I expected to happen and things that did happen. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> 
Yeah, she was sweet. The mom was actually like, why don't you pin him on? And then that that's how we get Josh's like really cute. Like we didn't we didn't know. And the guy, the flower guy said to get white and, you know, you know, white, you know, and they're in like their pattern white dresses. It was just it was very sweet. You could tell he's like really nervous there. And it's just oh, my gosh. Uh, and I like a small moment is when all of them are driving to homecoming and the girls are kind of like gossiping about the neighborhood and kind of like, well, he's having an affair and like, look at his shitty house. And the boys are, are like, oh, well, that stump isn't really a stump. It's actually like, you know, like tunnels and stuff. And the girls are like, oh, okay. But then I'm bringing this all up because Hayden, Hayden, you know, Darth, Darth Vader, uh, says to the smoke ring, don't let it die a virgin, which is just, you know, foreshadowing for the rest of the movie, really. Logistically, I want to know how eight people fit in that car. Yeah, it looked very cozy. <laughs> it looked very cozy. There's not enough seatbelts for anybody. There are lots of laps. There were lots of laps, which is like, I, we've all been there, right? Well, I, assuming. Uh, but knowing how the mother was like, who's driving? How long have you had your license? We don't bring the girls in. That was another thing. We don't bring the girls in the car often because, um, you know, the likelihood of accidents, blah, blah, blah. So then I was like, oh my God, they're going to get an accident on this way. So they all, knowing all of that background from the mother and then for them to go lap sitting with eight people in the car, I was like, I don't think Mrs. Lisbon knew what the seating situation was in the car. No, I almost guarantee she had no idea. Uh, she also probably had no idea that peach schnapps makes the panties fall off because they do. Uh, peach schnapps is famous for making the panties fall off. And, you know, drinking at homecoming is also pretty famous, in my opinion. Love that for all of them. <laughs> I love that for all of it. And, and Lex is clearly the more rebellious of everybody. So then she would even tell her sister, like, stop being a goodie. Just enjoy it. Just, like, live it up. And then um, who was it? Bonnie was, like, not into drinking. She tried it because she got peer pressured by her sister. The boys never peer pressured her, which I do have to respect. Not Trev. Trev was whatever. But the boys in general, it could have... I was expecting it to also go another way. And I was weirdly pleasantly surprised that it didn't oh yeah yeah the boy there it's well, of never... course i was pleasantly surprised well yeah but like the boys could have been like weird or gross about it too you know they they didn't it was yeah. not addressed at all it it was just it was just not a thing it was just like oh okay yeah fine i liked trip's logic though of with picking which boys oh yeah he's got the killer weed he's got he's got the car and he's got the smarts and he has all the awards he's great yeah. with the parents i loved it it would be perfect like we love it uh when trip and lux are crowned homecoming king and queen that is like that is all of like all of high school high school everything has that moment right but i love this moment for them like the the music is playing the balloons are falling all of the sisters are having like a good time and uh Therese even says like i'm having the best time which again is just kind of like really punches in the gut like the tragedy of this like they are having the best time and the dad like you said is having a good time like everybody is like so there and then trip 
has to go fuck her in a field and leave her there. Like, men, right? Like, why? Why was any of this necessary? But, ooh. And then he tries to be like, I really did like her. And then he's like, like sitting on his bed, like thinking, he goes, I really did like her. But then like, I didn't anymore because the chase was over. You were over it. You have, you already put in the work. Like it was so obvious. Um, in, you know, in that moment, after that moment, like you could see, like she was just so content laying there that we're holding hands and he's just looking up at the sky, like, oh, what the fuck do I do? How do I get out of this? And it, and it's weird too. And it kind of goes, it kind of re emphasizes the fantasy of these girls and how he has romanticized the situation, right? Because Trip is old when he's reminiscing about this. Like he's in rehab. He's got to, he's got to cut his interview short. He's got 6 p.m. group, you know, whatever. Um, but this, this, when he leaves her is the last time he ever sees her. It's the last time she ever sees him and he does he says like he didn't care at that moment it was different after that moment but then he also has the audacity to say that at least he was able to taste that kind of love once some people go their whole life and never taste that kind of love what i'm sorry you left her in a field why are you romanticizing this it is it is it because she's dead like what what is it so like mm, it was just it was so shitty and he's such a shitty person for doing that and she's like fuck you trip fontaine fuck you um damn but the dreamy 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 shot of lux like waking up in the field and it's like blue and she's alone in that white dress and she can't put her shoes on um she's struggling with it and she's like reaching for her crown it's like she's so childlike right there um, so sad, so tragic. Uh, did you notice, sorry, did you notice the taxi does not, does not wait to get paid? The taxi sees the mom just like throw Lux in the house and the taxi's like, oh, yeah, nope. I think you even hear him back into something at some point. Uh, but I, you, but like just the difference between the parenting and their styles, like the father was just like, First, he's like, he's just checking her. Oh, my God. Are you okay? Is everything okay? And the mother didn't even, that wasn't even a concern. It wasn't a, are you okay? What happened? Uh, It was, it's your fault, blah, blah, blah. You're past curfew. You're being punished. And now I'm punishing all of your sisters. But like, this just goes to like the relationship dynamic between the father and like the husband and the wife. So there is speculation that there was like some spousal abuse there going on, um, either physically or psychologically. So there is always like that to consider um, the wife to the husband. I was so, going to say the, hus- always, the wife to the husband because, yeah. Yeah. yeah, not the oh. yeah, not the other way. Um, so there, there is, you know, all these things, all these things. Uh, so the retaliation. So Lux being out all night just totally screws over all of the girls. They go into complete isolation. The mom pulls them from school. Uh, they don't talk to anybody. They don't leave the house. It is just horrible. And then specifically, the mom, they say the mom comes back from a spirited um, church sermon and demands that Lux burn all of her records. And she she begs not to do this. And she does eventually do this. And it ends up producing all of this smoke into the house, uh, which goes to the 
environmental theme, the toxic decline, and the feeling of suffocating that these girls have being in that house, uh, which I, upon watching it this time, realized that that house is wall-to-wall carpet. Um, and that would also suffocate me. That would That's like a hell for me, now that I'm saying it out loud, wall-to-wall carpet. There's even a line in one of the fights eventually that Lux tells her mother, she, her mother's trying to say like, oh, you know, I'm really just trying to protect you. And Lux says, you're not protecting me. You're suffocating me, which again, continues in the, you know, basically there is an asphyxiation between all of the girls at the end um, when they unalive themselves. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Uh, I would say it is about this time that Lux starts fucking boys on the roof, right? The boys tell us that uh, when they are completely isolated somehow. And they say, like, they don't know how the girls meet these boys. They don't know how they arrange it. They don't know what happens. But Lux starts fucking boys up on the roof. And the boys start watching. And as as we were talking about earlier, like, this could have gone super weird and 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 become this weird like circle jerk kind of porn situation and it didn't it turned into all of these the our four main boys and a couple of the other neighborhood boys uh on the telescope kind of like narrating the sexual acts going on and then judging the fuck out of the boys especially the one that didn't last very long they're like it is over are, are you serious fuck dude like uh or uh they're like yeah these guys are the dumbest guys on the planet they can't give us any details like what i don't know who did you or one of them's like a burger chalet guy and they're like hey you think the burger chalet guys never get any but like hey um but they do say when they're doing this that uh lux's clothes like stay on uh they do say make a point to say that in the beginning they're like no she's they're like fully clothed um, and she just stands up there and smokes afterwards. And it's it's a tragic thing. It's very sad. Well, it's also interesting that they note that, like, she's asking them, are you judging me? Like, do you think what we did is wrong? Um, what what else is she like? Do you still like, but do you still like me? Like, she is looking for that that validation through men. And none of them are really giving her an answer except for the one who's just like, no, I don't think what you did was wrong just to appease her. But he clearly didn't mean it. Yeah. At at all. He's like, I I knew what those girls want to say. I knew what to say. It's like, dude, no, you don't. No, you don't. But I do again, again, I like the, the, the cue here of when that guy is telling the boys like, yeah, you know, she asked me this and I said this, you know, whatever. We get a mom calling out, Chase, come practice your violin before dinner. Just kind of reiterating that these are kids. Like these are these are young kids. And and he does. He runs off and like goes and practices his violin. It's just it's it's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. The dad loses his job obviously obviously he loses his job he starts talking to plants the girls aren't in school the principal can't have that like he loses his job okay fine the girls are still in isolation and they say here now that like trip and his friends from homecoming like they never put in any effort to see the girls like uh trip never saw lux again 
and like Hayden never called Therese. They they just stopped. And so the boys were like, well, we noticed that a bunch of catalogs started arriving at the girl's house. So we looked and saw their, what catalogs were there, and we noticed that they were a bunch of travel catalogs. So then they started ordering the same travel catalogs, and then this is where this boy fantasy takes over, where, again, it could have gone into a gross, like, sexual thing, and it didn't. It went into like, because they don't know them. It went into this like dreamy, pastel, vibey, aesthetic, travel, happy, kind of road trippy situation that scarred them for life. Again and again, I know I have to realize like they look at these boys, they have an obsession. They, because like, how did they know? They, they were snooping through the mail to get like, like, that's how they figured out all of these catalogs that they were ordering. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, you could even say like, they were like looking the and seeing like what the mail, yeah. yeah, through the window, you know, like you, you could say, but again, again, just, just to kind of like drive it home as a child watching other children do this, it was the most romantic thing in the world to me because who did that for me when I was absolutely nobody. And these, these were the, like the same age, you know? So who was going to, who was going to look at my mail and pay enough attention to me to order the same catalogs as me to, to kind of maybe relate to what maybe I was thinking of when I was reading it. Like this, this was so just like amazing to me that somebody would put in that kind of effort that it was never, it was never creepy. It was always, always kind of sad to me. So as an adult watching it, knowing that they, that the boys never understood the girls is just like another really lovely layer to all of this. So I have a question with these layers that the boys didn't really know them because we do know at the end of the, you know, like they have, there's, you know, they're, their voiceover narration after the parents leave, they feel, and I guess this goes to what you said with, look, they're 14 and in love and only a way that you can be in love and have this obsession with them because they believe them to know. Do you think that's why, you know, when they, when they have Cecilia's diary and they're trying to understand them, but they're completely glossing over the dying trees and the elms like they're like this they're just completely dismissive because it has nothing to do even though that's all foreshadowing also of how wrapped up she is as a person like i just feel like they have this idea of them and it's all very surface level of what they know yeah it is completely surface level of what they do they know and i do think it kind of just speaks to their to the boys complete ignorance and just like they're, they're just, they are not aware of what's going on because the, the, the trees are like on the whole, like everybody, everybody has a tree. The whole street is lined with trees, you know? So it's like, they're, they're, it's just not there. It's, it's not affecting them. So like when Cecilia has all of these pages about elm trees and Chase is like, why does she have so many, f like, how long can you lament about elm trees? It's like, well, you, you, you never understood her because that is the core of who she is, these issues. So yeah. Ex you're, yeah, exactly. Something that I that I mentioned earlier, though, 
um, these catalogs that the boys order and these fantasies that the boys have one way fantasies. The girls don't know about this. Uh, the voiceover tells us, Giovanni, he tells us that these specifically, these fantasies scarred those boys forever. And it made them happier with dreams than with wives. So they're still doing this. Yeah, they're still doing this. But you knew it even after they moved away. The parents moved away, the girls, and they were going through their trash, looking for taking the photos of the girls, of the family. That said, they were like, oh, they just left. And Mr. Headley uh, just like put everything up for sale, did it and did garage sales and stuff. And we sifted through the garbage for all their photos. Like they were like, that's where it starts getting creepy, too. I don't think so. I don't think so. I, this is just me. I don't think so. I think, I think it is you don't as think- creepy as as um, Helga's "Hey Albert" shrine. It is just another expression of childhood feelings and angst. So, like these these people that you obsessed with are gone. So, collect as much of them as you possibly can. Because all of it was discarded by their parents anyway, because they they didn't care. But here we are. We can. Okay. Yeah. That so so it's it's not creepy. No, it's really helpful to have this conversation to see this different point of view because I've watched it twice today, and again, this is the first time I've watched it, and I'm so locked into this. This is gross. This is creepy. I've never I because I haven't had a different. POV or conversation with anybody about it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think so. I think it is just like collecting the last remaining pieces of this obsession that you had that you cherished that was not cherished by anybody else because they packed up the house and they didn't care and they left everything to be sold off. So why not keep it? And I like it. We'll get to it at the end. But like the the zoom in on the crown, it's like all of these memories that you would think a parent would take because you would want it and they left it all to like scatter in the wind. It's just it, it it's it's very good. And I do like the idea that these girls ruin these boys because, you know, we like that. But all of this to say that it took a week for these these boys, at least a week, to figure out um, to call these girls on the phone, just as you alluded to <laughs> earlier. Uh, you know, they're 14. It is what it is. Uh, 727 phone numbers. This is just a little interesting fun fact. Most movie phone numbers are 555 when you see them. Uh, and 555 Mary is the number that is on the card that Cecilia is holding uh, during her first attempt in the opening of the movie. But their numbers here are 727. And uh, what happens here is just a back and forth of records being played over the phone between the boys and the girls. And I do find the girls' access to music interesting because I would like to know like what like what system the mom uses to like make some things okay and like some things not okay. Uh, but you know, whatever. <laughs> 
Well, because I think the the right because the specific records were rock records. So she had Kiss, she had Aerosmith. I can't remember the third band that she had mentioned. She's like, please not this one, please not this one, anything but this one. And it's a lot. It's a lot. I've had my music revoked too. So like Lux, I I feel you in that moment and everything is so huge and it feels unfair because also sometimes it's like the punishment doesn't fit the crime to be going this extreme but as we know it's like right off the right off the tails of like a like an intense church sermon and we know how devout her mom is and it kind of impedes on her relationships with everybody it does. And I'm not uh, did you have I'm not... Did you have a Shadow Hunters flashback here when they started talking about memories fading of the girls? I mean, they had a very specific I mean, it's line oh. for line from Shadow Hunters. Yeah. With yeah, cuz they were like we were starting to forget their freckles and their moles and and the color of their eyes started to fade. Mhm. 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 So so again, Again, just going back to what you were saying, no, I, I don't think it's like weird and creepy when they go back and get the family photos um, because they say here that like they were lo- like they were losing them. Right. Like they were okay. communicating. They were um, doing the records and everything, but they were losing the um, the everyday details of them. So going back and finding their pictures does make sense to me when they drop that line here. Um where they were losing them. It's like, of course they went and got the photos. They said earlier that they were losing them. Like it made sense to me. We do have the fight here with Lux. It is a very, very, very fast, fast scene. And we don't even see Lux fighting with her mom. We just see the dad, James Wood in the hallway overhearing the fight between Lux and her mom. And all it is, is like, I can't breathe in here. I'm suffocating. And the mom saying like, but you're safe here. So that specifically suffocating uh, can go back to the records being burned with the smoky house. And then to later with the debutante ball and the gas masks. It's all, all very connected. By this point in the film, we are, you know, they've learned Morse code. They're talking with the boys. Mm-hmm. They're communicating more space. They're little do the boys know that their call for them meet us at midnight um, is to I, I don't want to say help help aid them in their escape because at that point they didn't escape. They did so escape. It, was it like they did aid in their escape? They chose their freedom. The girls they, they escaped. Yeah. They escaped, yeah. But it was interesting, like, at least, and this will be helpful, the way I see it, and you can probably explain it better, it was these boys obsessed with these girls, and these girls finally reach out to them, and here they are in this white night, we're here to save you, Um, yeah, we're here to save you, we have a car, I can drive, and... We know at this point, Lux is the only one alive right now. Um, and she's toying with their emotions. How is she so calm? She's stalling. Oh. She's stalling. They're all still alive at that point. 
She's stalling. Oh, because the boys the even thump, said like they were. She. They hear something. They hear noise. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize she was stalling. Because I knew like the boys when they left the basement, they were like, "Look, she must have like she must have unalived when we were in the house." Yeah. Yeah. So so they don't they don't know the order. So. So they get the note. Tim gets the note in the car that says, you know, look for the signal at midnight. They get the signal. The boys sneak into the house. Um, our first indication that something is massively wrong here is Lux is smoking inside of the house. That is our first red flag. Obviously, something is wrong. I, for several times watching this and still to this day, I still feel like they murdered the parents, too. Uh that is, it is like headcanon to me that they killed the parents too. That is, that is just how I think of it. I know that they didn't. So I was shocked when the parents were still alive. I thought yeah. it was going to be uh, like a hom- like a su- a murder suicide situation. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I did too. But our first indicator is that Lux is smoking in the house, and she like turns around, and her eyes. You can tell there's something wrong. Um, with her eyes and yeah the boys are like we have a car we can take you anywhere like obviously they're children they're not going anywhere they have no supplies like they didn't pack anything so she says like yeah we had to wait for my parents to come and sleep my sisters are coming right like they're coming it just it takes forever they're coming they're coming so she's stalling because the noises that the boys are hearing there when chase is like i think i hear your mom um, are the girls like kind of following through with everything? And when Lux is like, we need to take our car. We It has more room. We'll take our car. Wait here for five minutes and then come like and come to the car with everybody. And that's when she undoes the belt buckle. When she looks back, she has tears in her eyes. So like she knows that like what she's going to do and she knows at that point that her sisters have already passed away. It's just it's really that last look is like really oof, really oof. Um, But the boys do, though, have this fantasy of driving away with them. Right. It's very road trippy. The windows are down like they're all together and laughing. There's ice cream It's a really beautiful escape fantasy. Uh, you know, their children, they're, they're, they were never going to go anywhere. <laughs> like, come on. No, and I also looked at that, especially the, the moment where Lux is hanging out the window and feeling the breeze. It also feels like very whimsical in the fact that they have a sense of freedom in that moment. So it's an escapism for the boys that they're kind of like creating this freedom for the girls. But I looked at it as like, they're free. And the fact that that dream aligns with um kind of like the completion of like all the girls like following through with their actions um they're free in that moment too and i say that with such respect and not encouraging anybody um but i can only imagine in that moment when you when somebody feels like this is the only option absolutely and talking about options bonnie bonnie Okay, so the boys were in the living room. I'm trying to get the order. The boys were in the living room. Lux was in the garage. It took Lux about five minutes, you know, that whole thing. Um, Bonnie was the noise that they heard in the basement. So that's when they went down to the basement and Bonnie had hung herself. And then Mary was in the kitchen. She put her head in the oven. 
Therese took a bunch of sleeping pills. And then, of course, Lux was in the car and the parents uh, were completely fine, which is just like so annoying. How did you not hear anything? So there, there's a little plot hole there, but like, you know, whatever. My plot hole there with the parents came from the kitchen and the carbon monoxide in the garage, because between the two of them, something should have happened, which goes into where we think like the parents were going to die, too, because I would think in that situation, all those fumes, something's bound to get to the parents room. Yeah. So my personal headcanon is that the parents died, too. And that's why, like, somebody else packed up the house and somebody else sold the house. And, like, that is just my personal headcanon. But, I mean, this is essentially more or less uh, the end of the movie. It goes through, you know, the, the girls being taken out. Um, the house being sold, there's just this overwhelming, like, clock ticking noise. And it talks about the boys buying all of the souvenirs. And, you know, there's the focus on the crown that is right there. That is so fucking tragic. But it's also, like, that was such a happy, happy memory that it bothers me that the father would leave that and not take it. Because he was there to witness you know, even though it was like the cattle, I don't know. There's just, it was, it was just another indicator to me. Like, yes, the boys should have that. Cause at least they cared enough because the dad just, uh, yeah. Yeah. The boys cared more than the parents, in my opinion, even if it was like, meh. So the absolute end of the movie takes place w- exactly one year from Cecilia's, Cecilia's first attempt. And the narrator and, you know, the boys do say that their parents moved on like it wasn't a thing. Their parents had no problem with it, uh, which is I'm not going to say like typical of the area because I don't think it's typical of the area. I could say that it is typical of the community that this movie is trying to portray that being a very um high-class waspy country club kind of situation where things like this are swept under the rug. So I do understand the parents like totally um, just checking out on all of this and being very creatively tone deaf on the gas gas mask toxicity uh, debutante themed parties. Because the parents were eating that shit up, but like read read the read the room, but that embellished read gas mask was fire. Room. Like I don't know, I love the green one. I was like, okay, we got bling in the seventies. I forgot we're in like even because I feel like for the most part, there's very two very different types of 70s people think of it's either like you know what we have portrayed here or it's very studio 54 um with the disco and the bling and the fun and the donna summer of it all um and we got a little donna summer of it all in in the ignorance i guess yeah and then the the really the thing here that really drove this home to me when I was a child watching this is that guy that does like um you know I can't take it anymore and like falls back into the pool. He's like I'm a teenager. Don't you understand? I have problems. And I remember watching this as a child being like, yeah, this is why like 
We don't respect adults. You are dismissing our problems and you're not taking them seriously. And like, look what happened. And you're totally sweeping it under the rug. I remember being having like all of this like fury when that guy fell in the pool. I was just like, you're missing the point. (laughs) I was so, yeah, I already wrote like adults are so crass. Um, And they are. And and. and some still do. Some still do. We're like, well, you don't understand what real problems are. Regardless, at that point in time, whatever somebody's going through, it is a big enough issue. You know, we're allowed, we as people are allowed to have feelings and feel your feelings and feel a certain way and to have other people, um, judge you for that and mock you for that is just, it's, it's so loud seeing this in the movie, but I'm sure that there are others who will watch this and be like, he's right, you know. Oh, absolutely. And we know exactly who those people uh, would be. But this is the end. This is the absolute end of the movie. We have our four boys after the debutante party. Chase has got the lighter up. They are saluting this empty house. Uh, and they they do the lines like, you know, they they hadn't heard us calling. They didn't hear us calling, calling them out of their rooms, like all all of that, all of that. And again, as a child, sure, 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 sure. But also as a child, you didn't know anything that they were going through. You knew absolutely none of their problems. So like, yes, you can say that like, yeah, you were calling them out of their house, but like you weren't helping them with anything at all. Uh, you, you had no idea about what they were like as sisters, what the dynamic was, uh, anything that was going on inside of the house, any sort of trauma, any, anything, probably even, uh, like mundane details they didn't know. They probably have just like a, a mass like smattering of details. So like they didn't, they didn't love these girls. And at this, this moment, you know, with the lighter, it's like a very salute, you know, kind of situation. It is a very self-centered kind of ending for these boys, right? Um, they're like, you know, oh, they didn't, they, they, we were there, we, they didn't hear us. It's like, mm, okay, they had their own shit going on. But, it is objectively a really beautiful shot because they're up there, they've got everything pulled on and then the camera pans out and the camera pans up, like up, like a, like down the street a little bit and then up, kind of showing that like, that that's not the issue here. Like society is crumbling here. Like you're kind of focusing on the wrong thing um, when they take it that way. But it is a really kind of beautiful ending. Um cinematically and that's it that's the end of the movie um obviously i love this movie jess i feel like you're a little little cranky on this movie but that's fine that's fun content no i i think i'm cranky because i'm seeing it with a different a completely different set of eyes because i don't have the nostalgia experience i don't have i'm only seeing it from like i'm seeing it from like this solely from an adult point of view. And that's why when we're talking it out, you're like, look, if you were 13 and you were 14 and this guy was putting in this effort, you're going to sit and tell me that you wouldn't be into this? No, I would. I probably would. But I just didn't 
I haven't experienced it at that point. I didn't watch that at that point in my life where this movie would have been so critical for me. The way we have with other 90s movies that I'm like, I know it's problematic, but I still love the movie so much. How did this slip under the radar for you? Like, like, cause you watched other things that came out at this time. How, how come this one skipped you? I feel like. It was probably just along the content, like the context of trying to think like, where was I in 99? I was, I was at a point in my life. I don't want to say it and I don't want to date it. Um, but there was a lot of censorship in what I can and cannot watch. And I think when there, when, um, like parental figures knew the context of certain things, that's when more things were censored as opposed to, I'd say like, oh, I really want to watch this movie. And they'd be like, okay, I don't know much about it. That's where in the, where, where I think a lot of things kind of like overlap. But I also didn't have any friends, you know, at, you know, if, if you get older, you have your, you know, if you have sleepovers or you're like, oh, you haven't seen this movie, we got to watch it now. Um, no, I don't even remember having somebody saying like, we have to watch this movie. Nobody I know watched it at all, even though I had heard of it. I don't think it was just a priority for the people I was hanging out with. Interesting. But Lord knows I saw the sweetest thing. Yeah. Well, priorities, right? Priorities. Again, <laughs> again, uh, this movie suffered from kind of like an artsy, vibey, uh, all vibes, no substance kind of um, thing. And also, 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 um, Sophia Coppola is a Nepo baby and people did not have a lot of faith in this. So, you know, that's kind of part of it too that's a then or now situation exactly exactly i have just a smattering of fun facts because there aren't a lot of them i have just a smattering and then and then we can wrap this up i have alicia silverstone was offered mary she said no uh scarlett johansson was offered it uh, was offered a role. It was too intense. Gross point in the beginning of this movie is spelled incorrectly. That is just a continuity thing that bothers me because I've, I've been there. Um, <laughs> the, the photo that the dad takes of all of the girls before homecoming does, uh, foreshadow their deaths and the way that they die. I had to pause it because you know how in some, um, movies they'll like freeze the screenshot of the photo. They didn't do that here. So I paused it while watching it and it was like, you have, you know, uh, one of the girls, their eyes are closed. Bonnie's arm appears to be scratching her upper, upper back, which resembles her hanging. Um, you have Lux. Um, her hand is hanging out in the photo, which is similar to how it was in the garage. Um, oh, yeah. You have the sleeping pill, so Teresa's eyes are closed. It was really good. That took me a really long time, many years, many, many years to figure out because, uh, the, um, Bonnie with the hand, I was like, what, what, but I, we, we got there. We got there. Did you look at the fun fact and then pick, like pick up on that? Or you finally picked up on that on your own? I looked at the fun fact and was like, oh, well, that, that, of course. 
of course. But like, no, I had no idea. No, I'm I'm not a smart person. No, I did not know that. Stop. You're, you're smart uh, the the address here is 2037. That is the address of where the girls live. Uh, two of the records that Lux Burns are Aerosmith and Kiss. Uh, Giovanni Riosi, Rio, I'm gonna, I'm just butchering that, but Giovanni Riosi is the narrator, but he is not in the film. Uh, Sophia has said that this is a slow burn environmental disaster movie, very fun. Um, the, a member of the band Sonic Youth gave this book to Sophia, very fun, very fun. Um, the entire movie takes place over 13 months from June to August and the physical decay of the house was not something that I picked up on until I was an adult. Just throwing that out there. It's my own fun fact. You and you watch this movie pretty regularly too. I mean, maybe not like a yearly thing, but yes, I do. Well, I would say like friend of show, a friend of show, Becky, asked me recently, because this is one of her favorite movies, uh, when did I last uh, watch it? I watch it every couple years. You know, it's when it comes up, I like to watch it. I can, it's, it's not long, so I can watch like the first, you know, little bit of it before it gets like too, 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 too tragic. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think so. Do you consider a comfort movie because of that nostalgia connection? This is a very good question. Yes. Yes, I would consider this a comfort movie because of the nostalgia that I have, because I like grew up there, because I'm just like so connected and because I saw it when I was so young. And because Josh Hartnett was such a staple of my childhood crushes with Othello and the faculty and 40 Days of Night and 40 Days and Nights. <laughs> it is like a yeah, staple. 40, 40 Days, 40 Nights. That is. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a staple. So yeah, I would say that this is a comfort movie. It's not, it's a comfort movie. It is one of my favorite movies. It is not one of my three favorite movies that I watch all of the time. Uh, this would be a solid number five on my favorite movies list for sure. That's still pretty high. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I, I love this movie. This movie to me is unique uh stylistically uh you know the narrative is unique to me uh, i like sofia coppola's style obviously kirsten dunce was a huge part of my childhood growing up i love her and the sisterhood theme i am an only child i do not will not have never had any sort of relationship like this. So to even witness from the outside, from the boy's perspective, uh, five sisters like this was just, again, a unique experience because they weren't constantly um, poking and picking and prodding and bringing everybody and bringing each other down and like um, belittling each other the way a lot of sister relationships can be portrayed, especially during this time when it came out in the 90s. Yeah, oh, that's such a good point. I have like usually it's just like sisters fighting so hard and then like not even really apologizing, but like asking like you want to grab food later. But this everybody was kind of in solidarity with each other. Very much a it's us against the world kind of thing because it really was. Not just like yeah. the external world of the community that they were in, but their internal um their internal world and their personal environments at home. Exactly. 
Exactly. So, yes. Yeah, so, obviously, yes, I really love this movie. Of course, uh, you are lukewarm. That is fine. I would love to know what the <laughs> listeners think. That would be super yes. fun. And also, I think that, and Jess, you and I were talking about this earlier, but Kirsten Dunst is a phenomenal actress with a huge, huge range that we were talking earlier, we don't feel like she's in the conversation a lot when it comes to talent. And considering that, like, she is our Claudia and like she's still like successfully working today, I just feel like she should be celebrated a little more. So I'm just throwing that out there in the universe. No, and I and I know we probably have some more Kirsten Dunst movies on deck for future episodes too, which will be really fun to explore. Um, but I agree with you. Just like the range of her in general, I think we sometimes forget, you know, it's some, it's more than just interview with the vampire and it's more than just bring it on. So seeing this, um, especially at such a young age and, you know, I know we, we've discussed her in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Um, it's always just so refreshing to remember like, Oh, that's right. And that's, and that's also why they're still working because they have that flexibility and that range. And she has, not to my knowledge, um, or I've ever considered her to be a like uh, somebody who's been pigeonholed in their art and their craft. And just to go full circle, because I close all my circles when I talk on Acafe Podcasts, or I try to. <laughs> uh, so give me back my girlhood. It was mine first. I really think is the perfect kind of sum up of this movie, right? Uh, you could say like trip, stole, Lux's girlhood, you could say the mother stole all of their girlhoods, you could say the boys were actively trying to steal any part of their girlhood that they could get their hands on, and and that these boys are still, still wallowing in this stolen girlhood all of these years later, because there is something that cannot be replicated about that time in your life. Uh, and it is unique. Agreed. And with that, um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Feel free to follow us on Instagram for Akafe Podcast. We're also both on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. And if you feel so kind to leave us a five-star review, we'd always appreciate that. Thanks and talk to y'all soon. Bye. Bye.